0: Well, I invite you to take your your Bible or your Bible app, and let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, the first chapter. You may be aware that next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is seven Sundays after Resurrection Sunday. And on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate, we remember God sending, God giving His Holy Spirit to the apostles and those early followers and disciples of Jesus. We read about the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and in Acts chapter 1, we, we read about the events leading up to the day of Pentecost. And that's what we're going to, to focus on this morning, Acts chapter 1, and here's the key concept. Here it is. Expect the supernatural when we unify in prayer. When we come together, when we're unified in prayer, we should, we we, we can expect the supernatural. You know, change is one of the most difficult things that we deal with in life. And change can be a good thing. But it's always difficult, almost always hard. Historically, that's been true of God's people. God's people have always had a a bit of trouble navigating through change. And today, as we take a, a quick look at Acts chapter 1, there's a tremendous transition happening. There is change taking place on a huge magnitude. I mean, think about it. 24-7 for three years, the disciples of Jesus have followed him wherever he went. They were with him. They ate with him. They traveled with him. They listened to him teach. They laughed with him. They grieved with him. They took boat rides together. They had cookouts on the shoreline together. They were always together. And the disciples were on this emotional roller coaster watching him die on a cross, and thinking at that moment, all hope was gone for them, way down in the pit of despair. And then they saw him after his resurrection, which gave them unbelievable joy. And so for three years, they had been physically with God, physically in the presence of God for three years. And as the book of Acts opens, they're on a high, Because Jesus has risen from the dead. They're so excited about that. And he's given them some final instructions, which we'll review in a moment. And then I want you to look at what happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So 24-7, for three years, they had been with Jesus, Now he's gone, vanished, just like that. Talk about change. Talk about uncertainty. Talk about anxiety. And what are they going to do now? I mean, this is the huge tension we feel as the book of Acts begins. Now, what great words of encouragement, what great words of wisdom did Jesus give them before this moment to help prepare them for this moment? He told them in verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Do you think that's what they wanted to hear? Wait. We hate to wait. I was driving from the airport to my mom's celebration of life service uh, two and a half years ago. Traffic was terrible. You would think, we were in Los Angeles at the worst time for rush, rush, rush hour. And some of you know, you know I, I'm not the most patient driver in the world. You would have been proud of me, though. I was behaving myself, just content to take my place in line of, the, of this slow-moving traffic. And I caught a glimpse in my rearview mirror of a young man in a fast car just riding my bumper and he looked perturbed. Now, I don't know if he thought I was holding up traffic or what, but all of a sudden, as he's, uh, you know, looking perturbed, he hits the accelerator, and he roars past me in the right lane. There are two lanes, one lane was closed. He passes maybe three or four cars, and he has nowhere to go, has to slam on the brakes. And he has to wait for 10 more cars to go by, before he can get back into the left lane, because he gave up his spot. And as I passed him, I, I was uh, so tempted to smile and know, aloha, yeah. <laughs> hang loose, hang loose. But then, the, then I remembered all the foolish things that I've done behind the wheel of a car. Now I didn't let him in, I'm, I'm not that kind, <laughs> yeah, I'm still growing in that department. But I just kept looking straight ahead as I went past him. So waiting. Waiting is one of the toughest things that that we do in life. And the fact is, maybe many of you are in a season of waiting in your life right now. You know, maybe you're waiting, hoping to have a child and still no child. Or you're anxiously awaiting the results of some medical test or a biopsy or you're waiting for someone to change, or circumstances to change, or you're waiting to hear whether you got the job or position, or you've been accepted to a certain school or not. Maybe you're waiting for the Oakland A's to win the World Series again. And I hope you have some time on your hands. You know, It could be worse. You could be a Detroit Tigers fan. And, you know, Believe me you know, as as we move further into 2021 and hopefully way past covid i have a sense that god is getting ready to do something new among us and i'm not sure what i can't see it clearly just yet not not sure exactly what it is so i guess we we just have to wait and see waiting it's hard And watching Jesus ascend into the heavens was one of the most difficult things, one of the most difficult changes, one of the most high-anxiety-producing transitions His followers had ever dealt with. And now they're told, just sit tight and wait. And so what would they do while they waited? And What do we do in times of change and transition in our lives when it seems like all we can do is wait? Well, what I want us to do this morning is to consider a couple thoughts from Acts chapter one about times of waiting upon God. I remember studying the book of Acts way back in high school, when I was in high school, high school Sunday school class. We studied the book of Acts for over a year. And I remember being absolutely captivated by this supernatural community that we call the early church where you saw people yielded to God's work in their lives and what the Spirit could do through that kind of yieldedness. And ever since then, I've had this vision in my mind and heart of what the church could be, of what the church should be, where the awesome became commonplace, where lives changed and hearts melted and differences faded and racial economic lines blurred and love flowed in that community, because sometimes we can get so busy just going, 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 and doing, 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 and so caught up in what a church does that we forget what a church is. And I'm really glad we have this supernatural story of the early church in the book of Acts that is our measuring stick of what a church can be, what a church should be. You see, the the book of Acts, really, it's the second book in a two-volume set. It's written by a doctor. He was a physician. Do you remember his name? Luke, Dr. Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, he wrote to a guy named Theophilus all about the life of Christ so that people could know what the Son of God is like. He wrote it specifically for the benefit of Theophilus, And then we come to the book of Acts, his second book, and look at chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. You see, the first volume that Dr. Luke wrote was all about God becoming incarnate, God becoming flesh, God coming to earth in the flesh and blood form of Jesus Christ. But there's a new main character in the second volume that Luke writes. And it's not the Apostle Peter. It's not the Apostle Paul. Anybody know who that main character is? The Holy Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit. Luke's first volume is all about the activity of God the Son. His second volume is all about the activity of God the Holy Spirit. In fact, it wasn't until sometime in the mid-second century that the book of Acts got tagged with the title Acts of the Apostles. That's not part of the inspired text. The title is not inspired. Because really, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit that are recorded for us in the book of Acts. Now, someone said, if the church is not supernatural, it's going to be superficial. If the church is not supernatural, it's going to be superficial. And my prayer for us is that God would do something unmistakably out of this world, unmistakably supernatural among us. And so what do we learn in the first chapter of Acts about followers of Christ who are going through times of tremendous change, tremendous anxiety? What do we learn about times of waiting? Well, we learned that good things come to those who wait. We learn good things come to those who do two things, two things. Number one, and this is one of the things I hope you'll take home with you this morning, number one is that in times of waiting, you need to anticipate supernatural power, supernatural strength for the challenges that you're facing. And Jesus told His disciples to to sit tight and just wait in Jerusalem for a very special reason. And what was that reason? Well, look at verse 4. Take a look at verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says to them in this difficult time of transition, wait in Jerusalem. I'm leaving you, that's true, but you're not going to be alone forever. You will experience God in a new way. You will experience God in a way that you've never experienced God before. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And a few verses later, uh, we come to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 which is probably one of the most quoted verses in the whole Bible. And my fear is that this verse is so familiar that we often hear it only in terms of the marching orders that Jesus is giving in this verse instead of the personal promise that he's giving in this verse for all his followers to experience. Now, I I want us to, to read this verse out loud. I want you to read it with me. And here's how I want us to read it. I want us to emphasize the word you. Whenever we come to the word you, let's emphasize that as we read together, okay? So, are you ready? Here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what's the most frequently used word in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You. And notice, it doesn't say Francis Chan will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on him to be a witness. It doesn't say Franklin Graham will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on him to be a witness. It doesn't say those with the gift of evangelism will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them to be witnesses. No, it's a very personal thing. It's an individual thing. It's you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. And Jesus was saying these people who had yet to experience the inner workings of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they were about to experience supernatural power, and that they were going to experience supernatural energy, supernatural strength from God the Holy Spirit to do things that they could not do, In their own strength in their own power i mean i'm talking about out of this world kinds of things and so church this promise in acts chapter 1 verse 8 it's a very personal thing you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses and the people in acts chapter 1 i have to tell you they're a pretty unimpressive group of people they didn't didn't exactly have the best track records in the world. These were very flawed individuals. They battled insecurity and fear and brokenness, all sorts of mistakes in their past. There were a lot of screw-ups in their lives. But again, the promise was an extremely personal thing to them. You will receive power. You know what I, I think many of us do? I, I think many of us kind of take ourselves out of the spiritual game because we don't experience God's power in the same way that we see it in someone else. And we think, if I can't do what she does, if I can't do what he does the way he does it, I must not have the power. Now, some of the most discouraged Christ followers in this room or or watching on YouTube this morning are are some of you whom God has called to serve in a way where you feel like you're serving in the shadow of a ten-talent person or a five-talent person, and you look at yourself and you think, I'm just a a one- or a two-talent person. Now, some of the most discouraged Christ followers in this room or watching this morning serve in obscure, unknown, out-of-the-limelight ministry settings around Quail. And when you're around a 10-talent person, you know, a superstar, so to speak, that can be paralyzing to you because you've allowed the, the evil one to trick you into playing the deadly comparison game. And I know how paralyzing that can be. You know what's kept me from being destroyed by that kind of thing? These words from the lips of Jesus, you, Randy, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I want you to insert your name into that statement. Just say it in your mind right now. You, insert your name, say your name, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know, I I would give about anything, if you could just personalize these words this morning to you. You who serve, you know, in the nursery, week in and week out. You who work behind the scenes with the pew crew. You who have those embarrassments, In your past, those goof-ups in your past that you think prevent God from using you. And you who are attempting to have that spiritual conversation with your neighbor or that person at work who's so far from God, and you feel so ill-equipped to engage in that conversation. And you who are building into handicapped children who have so many needs and need so much love. You who, who think God has given you a role that that, that doesn't matter because it doesn't appear to you like it's the big thing. Listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you in times of uncertainty, in times of change, in times of, of transition. Anticipate supernatural power, supernatural strength, supernatural energy that, that God will flow your way. That's number one. Anticipate it. Expect it. And then number two, in times of waiting, we need unifying prayer. And I see this all throughout the book of Acts. You know, the disciples watched Jesus ascend into heaven, and they have all this anxiety about what's next, and what what does the future hold, and what are we going to do? And so what did they do? Now look at verse 12. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room. And maybe it's the same upstairs room where Jesus served his men the Last Supper. Uh, We don't know where they were staying. And then it tells some of the, the people who were there, and then verse 14 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And we learn in this chapter, there's about 120 of them at this time. They're anticipating the supernatural power that's to come. And what are they doing? What are they doing? They're unified in prayer. And one of the things that strikes me when I read the book of Acts is how many times the people, the believers, are together, and how many times they're together and they're praying. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Acts 2, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Chapter 4, verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer. In chapter 5, verse 12, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colony. Now tell me, what's the word that keeps jumping out of those verses? It's pretty obvious. Together, together, together. This was a group that was unified. This was a group that was unified in prayer. Now, does that mean they didn't have any annoyances and conflicts and disagreements and relational bruises? Of course not. Now, they had all kinds of conflicts in the church, we read as we go further into the book of Acts. All kinds of problems and tensions, but they dealt with them in a way that, that preserved the, the, the unity and that they kept themselves together. You remember quite a few years ago when Nassau lost something that was very expensive. They lost a $125 million Mars Climate Orbiter, just disappear. And hasn't life been kind of incomplete without daily weather reports from Mars? Haven't you been, been missing that? I know I have. Do you know how they lost it? They lost it because one set of NASA engineers was working with metric measurements, and the other set of NASA engineers, was working with English measurements. Now, folks, these are rocket scientists, okay? And as a result, that the orbiter flew too close to Mars and it burned up or broke up or something. They're, they're not really sure. But you see, for people to be on the same page, that they have to be talking the same language. And the language that unified the church, the language that, that brought the church together was prayer. And when the church is not uniting together in prayer, we can break up or just flame out. Remember a few weeks earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was at the heart of Jesus' prayer? What was on the top of Jesus' mind, the top of his prayer list as he went to the garden that night and he fell to his knees? He was praying that all those who would follow him, all who would believe, would be one, that they would be unified. That's what he prayed for, our unity. Because Jesus knew that the world is divided, bitterly divided. And it seems like, you know, that, that bitter divide is getting greater and greater and greater in our day. And Jesus knew that if, if the world could see the church in unity, if the world could see the church as one, that they would know that he and the father are one. If the world could see that the church united, the world would know there's something supernatural happening there. If the world could see uh, the church united, it would come to believe that He is who He said He was, the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That's how powerful unity is. That's how important our unity is. Now listen to Psalm 133, verse 1 how good and pleasant it is when brothers, and I would add sisters, live together, dwell together in unity. And let me just say here, brothers and sisters, let's treasure our unity and protect it. You know, the enemy would love to disrupt or destroy our unity. And you take away our unity, and what do we have? What do we have left? We've seen a big split in our culture and politics, and yes, even in the body of Christ, a split over wearing a mask, you know, to, to wear or not to wear a mask. Now, I've seen and heard those on both sides of the issue mocking and ridiculing, belittling those on the other side, just hurtful and hateful. I've seen it cause division in families, seen it cause division in churches. God help us. And look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Look at this verse. The tongue has the power of life and death. You know, sure, we can disagree and even disagree vigorously, but let's watch our words. Let's guard our unity in Jesus Christ. That verse, I love it. The tongue, the tongue can speak life into people the tongue with the tongue we can speak words of encouragement to to build people up to bring us together to unite us but the tongue can also be used to to hurt and wound and tear down and destroy and divide let's be very careful to to guard our words to, to guard our unity in jesus christ and so jesus prayed for their unity he prayed for our unity in the garden before he went to the cross. That's what was on his mind as he's going to the cross, our unity. And so here it is a few weeks later, and they're, they're waiting for supernatural power, and they're unified, and they're in prayer. Now, don't miss that or you won't understand the dynamic of what happens in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ, and the church as we know, know it was born on that day. And this is where it started, in this prayer, together, united in prayer. Lloyd John Ogilvie writes this, I have always felt that Pentecost happened, not just according to a date on the calendar, but in response to a reconciliation among the disciples. There were deep tensions among them during and after Jesus' ministry, sharp divisions and conflict among these strong-willed people. And until they were together on their knees fully open to God and to each other, the Holy Spirit could not be given. I've never known a contentious group to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, nor have I ever seen a church in which division and disunity prevail or, or pre, yeah, prevailed receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit. As congregations, we cannot be empowered until we are of one mind and heart, until we love each other as Christ loved us and until we heal broken relationships. Can I be very direct and and specific with you in applying these words this morning? And and please hear this from my heart. And if you can look around the room this morning, or if you're watching on YouTube, if you can think of someone in the body here at that you have an unhealed relationship with, you are impeding the power of God in this church. You're hindering the power of God. And these first followers of Christ, they got together and they healed their relational wounds. And as a result, God revealed himself to them in a way that he never had before. And God worked in them. And God worked through them. And God worked among them. And they ended up changing the world. Changing the world. Let me ask you, when Jesus said these personal words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, of the earth, do you think they had any idea the magnitude of what God was about to do among them? Do you think they had any idea the magnitude of what God was about to do through them? Now, keep in mind, we've read the book. They had not read the book yet. I mean, do, do you think they understood that this would be really uh, the outline, that they'd be writing church history and they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and that thousands of people would come to faith and they would devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer and to the fellowship? Do you think they had any idea that there would be such an overwhelming response of generosity and need meeting? to the extent that there would be no needy persons among them? Do you think that this monolithic group of Jewish believers could envision that God would use them to cross the racial divide and the ethnic divide and the cultural divide and take the gospel to people who would not have heard it otherwise? I don't think they had any idea. I don't think they could even begin to grasp the supernatural adventure that God had in store for them. And Quail family, I don't think we have any idea, any idea of the supernatural experience that, that lay ahead for this church and the magnitude of what God is preparing to do among us. And that doesn't have anything to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who our God is. But that means instead of getting ahead of God, instead of trying to do it ourselves, our own strength, our own power, you know, maybe it's time to wait and anticipate the supernatural power that God will send. And maybe it's time to unify in prayer. Years ago, I heard about an old country preacher, who as the years went by, he began to lose his eyesight. And he got to the point where he couldn't see anymore. And so on Sunday morning, he would have somebody come and and open his Bible to the book of Acts. And he would stand up and put his hand on the text that he couldn't even see, couldn't even read anymore. And he would simply say, do it again, God. Do it again. And that would be my prayer for us. God, do it again. Do it again. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we move into the next season of our lives, of our church life, not fully knowing what lies ahead, we just openly acknowledge that we are totally dependent upon you. And as best we can, we're going to wait and fully anticipate that we will experience the supernatural power that we need from the Holy Spirit among us. For the challenges ahead of of us. And I thank you. I thank you for for making that power available to us personally, very individually. I pray that in the coming weeks we might even find ourselves surprised by, by your supernatural assistance to do things we couldn't do in our own strength and wisdom and talent and words. And lead us into the kind of conversations with those those who don't know you, don't know your grace. And help us to, to say the kinds of things that we'll look back on it and say, that, that was only by the power of God that I said those words. God, we want to unite ourselves together in prayer as a church family today. And may we be marked by, by great unity. And may we not allow the evil one to ever divide the, the great work that you desire to do in us and through us. And may your church prevail. But we need you. We really do. And so we're asking you to do it again. And with anticipation and dependence and with united hearts, we lift our prayers now and ask that you receive our worship and our pleas for Jesus' sake. And we pray it in his name for his glory. Amen. Amen.